Good morning, everybody. My name is Dave. I'm an alcoholic. Sean, thank you very much for such a heartfelt and charming introduction. My first, uh, the first thing that Sean said that I remember, uh, I've forgotten how many years ago it was, was he described himself as having a shark-infested mouth. <laughs> He has always been very clever and and very bright, and and I just I like that in people. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me here to be a part of this. This is really a pleasure for me to come here and to be here, and um, and I am uh, I am absolutely in awe of what you do at this roundup. Denise, thank you so much for asking me. Your committee is unbelievable. Um, I have been taken, all of my questions have been answered before I could ask them. Uh, I, I have been given the most charming, attentive, great host that uh, I, I could possibly imagine. Uh, Eric, wherever you are out there, thank you so much for what you have done. You, you have made the trip for me. And, uh, and my wife got to come. One of my sponsees got to come. And uh, so it has just been a great, great event for us. Um, if you are uh, at this conference um, and enjoying this, I want you to know that I have some deep roots in, many, in the Minneapolis area, Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and uh, that I... Uh, I have been connected here for a long time. Uh, my first connection with you was with a with a guy named Don Bruner and his wife. And uh, some of you old timers will will uh, know Don and Marion. And uh, some years ago, I was asked to speak in at uh, Yosemite National Park. They have a Thanksgiving uh, conference there, and I was asked to speak there. And, uh, and a, a beautiful young woman came up to me and uh, said, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And she said, my name is Susie. And uh, do you think I will ever have what you have? And she'd been sober at that time about a year and a half or two years. And she was having a tough time. And uh, I said, yeah. I, I do think them. I, I believe that from the bottom of my heart. If you can find it within yourself to keep faith with Alcoholics Anonymous, if you can stay here and do the deal, uh, I absolutely know your life will, will unfold beyond your wildest dreams. And uh, because she seemed a, a little shaky and fragile at the time, I picked up the phone and I called Roger Bruner and said, Roger, put her on your, your tape of the month club. So I, I, it was my first immediate thought because I, I knew him and I knew that. So I, I've been connected here for a long time. I have another friend that lives here. My son James and I uh, came here to the big party in 2000 and um, we said, let's just go there. Let's take, uh, you know, uh, we're going to wear shorts and T-shirts and sandals and take a day pack. And uh, we're going to just hang out for the big party uh, for the international. And I called a friend of mine here that my wife sponsors and said, hey, Kathy, can you, can you put a couple of scruffies up for... For a few days during the conference, well, she says I'm busy, I'm working, which is what you would expect. Uh, but she put us up in her basement, so James and I came to the 2000 conference, and, and I had on this shirt that is a bright. I mean, this is this is tame. <laughs> I had on a shirt that was that was about that was brighter than this shirt, uh, red, and had big yellow flowers on it. And, uh, in fact, this lady came up to me, and, and I was walking down the street. She said, how many batteries does it take to run that shirt? <laughs> uh, but we just decided we're going to come here, and we are just going to revel in the international conference. We are going to eat 
whatever we can find on the street. We'll eat out of push carts. We're not going to spend any of our time waiting in line for fine restaurants or any of that stuff. We're just going to come here and hang out. And uh, we had we, we had no coats, no ties, just shorts and t-shirts and sandals, and uh, and a couple of backpacks. And and uh, we had a great time here. So I've been connected here for a long time, and and. And I, uh, I really love this area. I love your kindness. I love your hospitality. And um, thank you so much for having us come. If you're new or nearly new in Alcoholics Anonymous, I want to welcome you to our program. Uh, we are very, very glad you are here. And uh, we hope you're glad you're here. Uh, it, it helps. Uh, we... <laughs> We, uh, <laughs> we um, think that uh, you might want to participate a little bit more in your own life than we think is wise, but you'll get over then. Uh, <laughs> and we, we want you to know that you're very important to us. Uh, I don't know if you can believe that at first or not, uh, that, that you are important to us, but you really are. Uh, and, and we say that a lot, but uh, not often do we tell you why you're important to us. You're important to Alcoholics Anonymous, very important from the minute you walk into the door. And there's a couple of reasons at least for that. Uh, one is that uh, you're not out there anymore all alone and by yourself and, and, uh, you know, and struggling to keep body and soul together. Uh, another reason is, is that because uh, you need to know that that the next person that walks in here, if you have you have no idea how important you are, the enormity of your good fortune has not even occurred to you. You know, you have landed smack dab in the middle of a relatively few group of groups of people on this planet who have the faintest idea what to do with you, and they're all glad you're here. When the next new person that walks in that door, you know who they're going to come talk to? Whether you have one day or one week, they're going to come talk to you. They don't want to talk to me. You know, I mean, I, I've been here for a long time. You know, they're going to look at me. I'm, I, am, I look so straight. You know, you probably think my wife irons me every morning. <laughs> but I, you know, they don't want to talk to me. Uh, they want to talk to you, especially if you've been here as little as one day. They want to be your friend. They, they suspect that maybe you won't be so quick to reject them as they think I might be. They want to know how, they don't care how I stayed sober 32 years. They want to know how you stayed sober three days. That's what I wanted to know. I mean, I didn't even know anybody that had this much time. I... I thought, the oldest guy I knew in the group that I came into is a guy named Ray Kinney. He'd been sober 15 years. And I thought, my God, he was born here. <laughs> my, my mentors, when I first came in, was a guy named Little Dick, had 30 days. I thought a guy named Bob that had 90 days was an old timer. I, I mean, I, this is true. I really did. And, uh, and I remember in all their, their love, loving uh, warmth, they had this big food fight over, intellectual food fight over where I should start reading the book. You know, one of them insisted that I should start at chapter three, and the other one insisted that I should start reading at chapter five. And the old timer, you know, the guy who was born here, Ray, in his opinion was, well, the first page is, is a, you know, it's where I would start. <laughs> In the immortal words of Bob Lemke, we could screw up a two-car funeral. <laughs> but um, I, I want you to know you're important here, that, you, that we count on you. Somebody's got to keep this thing going, you know, and, and we all are people that have unbelievably bright ideas on how to make things better. And so somebody has got to keep us, help us keep our, our wheels on until we can regain 
some semblance of sanity because, you know, that's, that's where we all live. We live at the tattered ends of sanity. And uh, we need a little help getting going. So if you're here new or nearly new, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're glad you're here. Don't. And don't worry if this whole thing doesn't make any sense at all to you. It doesn't make any sense to anybody when they first get here. Uh, it, it, it's just okay, okay? Just know that you're safe, that the only person in Alcoholics Anonymous that is not on your side is you. So, just do your best to kind of relax and, and, uh, and do what is asked of you. Things will be asked of you that you will question. There are times, there will be times when you know. You know, Sometimes, you know, you, you, you have this metaphysical certitude that takes place up here, and you will know that what we're asking you to do is just absolutely stupid. <laughs> and you're not going to do it. That's, that's the time you need to park your brains at the door and just, you know, trust us on this one. Uh, I, I was... Um, Fascinated to hear it read again this morning. It's been I've heard it read. I, I've lost track of how many times I've heard it read. Never, I, in fact, never tried to keep track. Come to think of it, but uh, chapter five uh, was read this morning, and uh, the last paragraph of chapter five says that we. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. I forgot to thank you guys. I got to I got to stop and take care of my manners a little better. I also forgot to thank you for the nice basket of. Cheese and crackers and you know and fruit and a big box of chocolate or bag of chocolates, which I don't I've hidden from my wife <laughs> and uh, and the flowers that were in my room. So it, it was it was very thoughtful of you and uh, we thank you very much for that. But uh, the, back to where I was, the, the part of uh, chapter five that uh, is of particular interest to me is that uh, the last paragraph that we read that says uh, our description of the alcoholic, uh, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we're alcoholic and we can't manage our own lives. And B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C, God can and will if he is sought. It doesn't say he has to be found says he has to be sought. Uh, because in, in the final analysis, if you, to truly find God requires a leap of faith. Because he doesn't send faxes. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't do email. Not as God. Uh, but... Uh, our book says that um, says that remember that we deal with alcohol and that it's cunning and it's baffling and it's powerful and it says without help it is too much for us. Well, I just told you that that my life is unmanageable by me. You know, I'm an alcoholic and and I can't manage my own life. So by what stretch of the imagination would I think that I could manage yours? I mean, if I could manage anybody's life, I would have done a better job with my own. I wouldn't be sitting on a front row in AA meetings. Uh, and, um, and so it says, remember, we deal with alcohol. It's cunning, and it's baffling, and it's powerful. And without help, it's just too much for us. You know, uh, it says over in uh, the chapter to the agnostic, it says the main purpose of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself that will solve your problem. It doesn't say anything about the quantity or the quality of the footwork we have to do. It just says he will solve our problems. That's the main object of the book, to help you find that power. And, uh, and we don't... We don't care how you get in touch with it. Uh, you, you, we, we mostly refer to that power as God. Not always, but most of us do. It's just convention. It's not required. Uh, he doesn't seem to care too much what you call him. Uh, 
Uh, so, I, I mean, it seems to work just fine, whatever you may call him. Uh, you know, and if, if you, uh, when you first get here, if you need uh, a doorknob or a giant hamster to be your higher power, we're tolerant of that. You know, we know you'll, we know you'll change. We know. It's okay. If that's what you need to do when you first get here, that's cool with us. We're down with that. And if you, uh, if you look further in the book, everywhere you look, it just says, you know, pal, you're screwed. If you've got alcoholism, you're screwed. Okay? You're not going to fix this. You know? And on top of that, we can't fix it for you. But the book goes on to say, but there is one who has all power, and that one is God. May you find him now. Uh, that scares the pants off of most of us, and uh, but that's okay too. That's okay too. There is no hurry. Say so that I that my life is unmanageable by me was so totally obvious to every person on this planet who ever caught even so much as a short glimpse of my life that it was inescapable. I mean, you can't avoid it. Uh, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, when I reported for duty, uh, I, I was uh, uh, 40 years old, and uh, I had uh, no job, nor any prospects. I was unemployed and unemployable. Uh, my, I was going to the Dallas County Mental Health uh, you know, because I said earlier, I, I lived at the tattered ends of sanity. And uh, I was going to the Dallas County Mental Health, and I had a therapist named Jeanette Beavers, and, and she was um, she was a great lady. I've tried very hard to find her, but I've never been able to. But uh, I'm going there every Monday at 1 o'clock. Now, I haven't had a bath when I came to my first meeting. I haven't had a bath in, in a long time. I don't know how long, uh, but but months. Uh, I hadn't, I don't know, I have no idea when the last time I changed my clothes was, uh, or when I brushed my teeth, or combed my hair, or, or anything. I think I could have taken my jeans off and stood them in the corner, and uh, they would have just stood there. Uh, I, uh, um, my teeth were uh, brown and ugly and chipped and beat up, and, uh, and, you know, in other words, I was a derelict. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, a derelict, by way of the Dallas County Mental Health Clinic. Uh, that's as good as I can do without you. I wasn't fooling around out there all that time. I was trying to have a successful, productive life. I was trying to enjoy myself. You know, I, I have a, an ego that, that always demands more and more and more and my ego was really unhappy with me that we that I had let us get into such dilapidated condition and uh, it it was just uh, you know just another one of of uh, you know the flotsam and jetsam of humanity floating by and I was drinking at that time uh, a, a case of vodka a week uh, being unemployed and unemployable has its advantages, uh, did at that time. Uh, you got 63 bucks a week from the Texas Unemployment Commission for doing nothing, for just sitting around drinking. And uh, when my check came on Friday, I would cash it and go down and, and buy a case of booze, case of vodka. Uh, my, um, and I, I drank that from Friday to Friday. And I, I did that for the simplest of all reasons because I knew that, you know, that I'm not trustworthy and, and if I don't lay in my case of booze while I have that 63 bucks, uh, I might foolishly waste some of that money on, on clothing or, or rent or food or who knows what might take possession of me. And uh, so I laid in my case of vodka and... Um, I lived, uh, I lived in a dump, and uh, my diet consisted of a Swanson's frozen chicken dinners, and uh, I would just go and buy a stack of them and throw them in the freezer, and uh, at 
And those things, they look pretty good if, uh, if you just look at the outside of the package. If you look at the packaging, they don't look too bad. You know, nice, plump pieces of chicken. And... But uh, uh, when you open it up, you find, you know, there are three scrawny pieces of some anorexic chicken that, uh, you know, and one of them is always a wing. And... Uh, and up in the right-hand corner is a blob of, of white, gooey-looking stuff that the package says mashed potatoes, but, hmm. And in, in the left corner are these little round green pellets that the package says are English peas. And if I remembered, I would pop one of those in the oven. And if I remembered to take it out before it burned, became charcoal. Uh, I would eat some of it, but that was my diet. And that is what I let me get to when I came to you. That's how I walked in here. And uh, Jeanette uh, at the, at the uh, Dallas County Mental Health Clinic, my, my therapist, she said, you know, uh, we're having a program getting started here, and, and I could get you in it. And, you know, we're getting a federal grant, but if I were you, I'd just go to AA. That's the best place in town. And I said, why would you want me to go there? I mean, you know, we'll, we will lie in the gutter, unable to get up, and feel superior to those looking down on us. And... <laughs> I said, well, why would you want me to go there? She says, because they do better than anybody. They just, they know how it's done. And so I, um, I had to go to the Dallas County Mental Health Clinic to find out about you. You know, and I, and I keep thinking about uh, Jeanette. You know, here's this, here's this really nice lady, and she has gone to all the trouble and, and taken the time and spent all the money it takes to get, it, uh, to get her degree and, her, and to get credentialed in the field of psychotherapy and, and psychology, and all she's got to look forward to is me every Monday at 1 o'clock? I mean, what a waste. You know, I mean, could she have told me that I'm fear-based? Yeah. Could she have told me that I'm shame-based? Yeah. Could she have told me that I have abandonment issues? Oh, yeah. Do they matter? Not in the least. My alcoholism is so overpowering me that none of those things like that have any... I mean, there, there's no detectable effect of those things. Will I ever have to address those issues? Yeah, maybe. Turns out I have had to, to look at some of them. But, but when you're an alcoholic and you're still drinking, your abandonment issues don't count for squat. They don't mean anything. You know, they, I, so, uh, and, and she knew that. So she just sent me packing off to you. The second idea is that, uh, you know, is that um, probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. I looked all over the place before I came here. I mean, I, my first thought was not to come to AA. My first thought was not to go to the Dallas County Mental Health Clinic. My first thought was to do what I'd been conditioned to do, which is turn my problem over to Western medicine uh, and, and other powerful people. Uh, I tried uh, religious people. I tried medical people. Uh, you know, I, I would have been willing to, to try anybody. But I, um, none of that worked for me. So... Uh, when I was thought it was time to do something, you know, because I always said, if my, <laughs> oh, tiresomely, oh, it was just, can't believe I was so, I used to tell my wife and mean it, one of my wives, uh, and mean it, you know, if drinking ever, just shut up about my drinking, okay, just be quiet. If drinking ever gets to be a problem, I'll quit. <laughs> And I meant that as much as you did it when you said it. <laughs> I believed it as much as you believed it when you said it. 
If it ever gets, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. You ever say that? Oh, it's our stock and trade. I'm not hurting anybody but myself. And uh, so when it finally um, became obvious to me, even to me, that it's getting out of hand, it was too late. I knew it was too late. I didn't even bother to try to quit drinking. Because I knew what happened. Every morning when my eyes flew open, I knew two things. I knew that if I didn't quit drinking pretty soon, I was going to die. And I knew that if I didn't have a drink in the next five seconds, I was going to die. And that's what's called the dilemma of the alcoholic. And uh, so I, I uh, showed up with, uh, with all that going on. Uh, I was... Uh, not going to go to just any doctor, however. You know, I mean, I, I'm not going to go to the yellow pages and find a doctor. I mean, you know, Dr. Thibault says there are two characteristics found in every alcoholic. Dr. Thibault is a, was a psychiatrist that helped us enormously in our early days in, in getting AA going and getting it started. And uh, Dr. Thibault said that alcoholics have at least these two characteristics. One is defiant individuality, uh, and the other is grandiosity. And my grandiosity, I call the American Medical Association. <laughs> and, <a laughs> and asked them to recommend a doctor who was competent treating alcoholism. In fact, I'm, I'm not even sure that alcoholism was part of my vocabulary at the time. I probably asked them for help from someone who has experienced uh, treating people who drink too much. Who knows what I said? Uh, many of my early, early mutterings are, are lost to me. And, uh, but uh, they, they weren't really, they didn't seem to be all that thrilled to hear from me. And... Uh, but I, I was tenacious, and they finally gave me the name of some doc. Uh, and, and by this time, I was on a whirlwind uh, tour of northern Kentucky, one of my better uh, geographical cures. And um, so I went to this doctor, made, called his office, made an appointment, went there, you know, uh, sat on the end of the table. I uh, took the little triangular orange rubber hammer, popped my knee, my leg flew up. He, con he convinced himself that I was alive. And uh, he said, how much do you drink? I mean, don't ever ask a drunk that. Come on. <laughs> you know, there's only one possible answer to that question, and it is not much. <laughs> You got to get more specific with us. If you really want, if you're really curious, if it's not just an idle question, if you really want to know, you got to get more specific. Do you drink more than a quart a day? Oh, well, the answer to that is yes. But do you drink much? No. So. So I, I don't remember what I told him in terms of the quantity I consumed, but I know that uh, it was not the truth, because I, I didn't even know what the truth was, much less bother with it. And uh, so I, I don't know what I told him, probably closer to the truth than anybody I'd ever talked to before. So he said, oh, well, uh, here, uh, I'm going to give you a, a prescription for some uh, medication. And you just take it as directed and come back in a couple of weeks. Now, this medication won't cause you to stop drinking, but it will make you drink a lot less. And I thought, God, this is working out beyond my wildest dreams. How cool is this? And uh, so I took the pad, and it said, Librium, 75 milligrams. I went, wait a minute. My wife was a nurse. My first wife, one of my wives, was a nurse. She worked for an internal medicine specialist. You know, when, when, I was, when she and I were dating, she gave me a little triangular orange pill one night and said, you've had too much to drink. You better take this so you won't get sleepy driving home. Well, I didn't get sleepy driving home or all the rest of that night or all the next day. Well, my God, what is that? And I called her and said, what is that? 
And she said, that's dextroamphetamine sulfate. And I said, where do you get it? <laughs> she said, well, the, the drug salesman, the, the detail men, they just bring it by and leave samples all the time. And I said, well, how much have you got? She said, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of it in the closet. And I said, what do you do with it? She said, oh, we just let the closet fill up. When it gets full, we throw it all away and let it fill up again. And I said, don't be throwing that away. <laughs> so, see, I, I had a PDR at home, a physician's desk reference. Now, for those of you who haven't seen that, if you have a physician's desk reference, it will tell you in both uh, charming prose and living color every pill, medication, suppository, capsule, spansule, every drug made on planet Earth and, and has a lot of information about what is likely to happen to you physically and psychologically and psychically if you put some in your body and swallow it or, or shoot it or put it wherever it's supposed to go. <laughs> I had one of those, and, and my wife worked for a, 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 um, an internal medicine specialist, an internist, so I could, with the exception of narcotics, I could order just anything I wanted. She just took it on the end of his order, and, and it would just be delivered. And I paid his prices for it. And I'm buying speed amphetamines and bottles of a thousand for five dollars and seventy-five cents at that time. I just gave it away. It never occurred to me to sell it. I mean, I'm, you know, and, and let me tell you, if you live in L.A., if you live in L.A. and you got a pocket full of amphetamines, pharmaceutical grade, I mean, these were made by an ethical pharmaceutical company, Smith, Klein, and French. I mean, this, this wasn't, you know, made by some dude, some, some crackhead out in, out in, the, in, in Riverside in, in a house trailer. You know, running a meth lab. This was good stuff. <laughs> and and if you're just giving it away and you're drinking out in the valley, up and down Topanga Canyon, uh, up and down the Ventura Boulevard, and and uh, you can work up a hell of an entourage. <laughs> you have a lot of friends. And so I yeah I knew about stuff. I knew about Librium. You know, I knew, I knew immediately as soon as I saw that. I knew this is not going to help. This is going to make it worse. This is going to make it a lot worse. Because in all fairness to the doctor, yeah, I'm going to drink less. I'm going to spend a lot more time unconscious than I used to. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be doing face plants a lot. So I knew that whatever the answer was, it was not to be found there. You know, I, I tried, um, I told you about my, uh, my therapist, my psychotherapist. You know, uh, psychologists have been heavily involved in the uh, founding of Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and they are heavily involved in our history. In fact, uh, there are some people that are sometimes referred to as, as the, the godfathers of AA. Uh, one of them is a guy named Emmett Fox. Uh, but one of them uh, is a guy named Carl Jung, Dr. Carl Gustav Jung. He was a psychiatrist, and, uh, and he worked for a long time with uh, a contemporary of our founders, or one of our founders, uh, his name was Roland Hazard. He spent a year in Switzerland working with Dr. Jung uh, because he was a seriously bad drunk. He was an alcoholic. And, and after a year, Dr. Jung says, I've done everything I can do for you. Carl, I mean, uh, Roland gets on a train, goes to Paris. His buddies meet him at the station and said, let's have a drink. And he said, good idea. And shortly, very shortly thereafter, he was drunk. And he said, how can this be? I've spent a year working with the most preeminent uh, scientist, the most preeminent psychiatrist on the planet, and, uh, and I'm drunk. How could this be? So he went back to Dr. Jung, and Dr. Jung says, you know, there's nothing I can do for you. 
He said, I know of only one thing that has ever helped anybody like you. See, Dr. Young didn't want to tell him what he told him, because if word leaks out that he told him this, he would be ridiculed by his peers. Sigmund Freud, uh, Adler, uh, he would be ridiculed by his peers. But what he told him was, the only thing I have ever seen that has arrested the problem that you have is some sort of a religious experience or, or, uh, or spontaneous spiritual event. And I don't have the faintest idea how to induce those. Uh, they seem to happen mostly around religions and around people who are involved in religions. And the only thing I can tell you is that you go home and find a religion you think you're going to like or can tolerate and um, see if that doesn't happen to you. As far as I know, to the best of my knowledge, to the best of my knowledge, that's the only prayer you got, pal. And uh, so, uh, and you know, and, and if, if word gets back to, I mean, you know how these Germans are. Uh, if word gets back to Freud, that uh, he's over here touting religion, his, his reputation is ruined. You know, his standing in the scientific community is ruined, but he cared enough about Roland to tell him that. And uh, which, in my mind, is a man of tremendous integrity. So, uh, that's, that's as good as he could do. Uh, my my own therapist, she she tried, you know, uh, the routine stuff, you know, because I, I remember the time I told her, you know, like, uh, you know, I mean, I I uh, asked her without meaning to, I had not the slightest intention of ever bringing this up in her presence, but one day, you know, the thought crossed my mind, what was left of it, and, and, when, and, and when something crosses my mind, to this day it just comes burbling out of my mouth. And uh, the thought crossed my mind, uh, what thought did cross my mind? <laughs> My alleged mind. I had to do that. Uh, the thought crossed my mind. When are we going to talk about my drinking? You know, and, I, and it's like I almost went, God, I'm sorry I said that. And she said, oh, do you have a drinking problem? Well, you know, if any of your senses worked, I mean, if you could smell, if you could see, if you could hear, if you had any kind of sensory perception going on at all. You would not seriously ask me that question. <laughs> but, um, you know, because what, what, is, what, is the, the funda, what is the fundament, um, uh, the fundamental characteristic of psychotherapy? I come to you. Uh, I, I am to tell you, my therapist, uh, how I act and react in the world, uh, how, how I react to events that go on around me, how I react to external stimuli. You know, I mean, here is who I am. Here is how I act and react in the world. And uh, from that, you can see patterns that don't serve me all that well, and, and we can work together, and you can help me change my behavior. Hence the term behavior modification. You can help me change my behavior so that I don't find it so difficult to live in the world. Well, that requires that I have to help you help me. Well, I can't help you help me. I mean, I, first of all, I have to tell you about me. And that, that requires that I at least get somewhere near the truth about me. And there's a couple of problems with that. First of all, I don't have any, I'm not sure what that is. And secondly, I want you to like me. <laughs> Hell, I'm not going to tell. What do I care about the truth? The truth? Are you kidding? What do I know about it? And what do I care about it? I'm trying to get you to like me. I care about any truth. So the point is, I, I can't help her help me. You know, I don't understand all this at the time I'm in there. I mean, this is nowhere near my conscious mind. But uh, 
you know, so that is, that is one of the reasons that psychiatrists and psychologists have such a terrible time with us. We feel not the slightest compulsion to tell them the truth. <laughs> not at all. We don't, I mean, we'll just sit there and just happily lie through our teeth. And even though they know that, they still not, are not getting many clues as to what the truth really is. So, uh, you know, I, so I, I tried that and, and it had the predictable result, you know. Nothing happened with her. She did, however, send me to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I tried uh, religious uh, people. I tried, you know, I tried that whole avenue. Uh, I started off in a very fundamentalist church. And I'm going to tell you before I say anything more about religion that I very happily and enthusiastically go to a church every Sunday morning that I'm in, in Bellingham, Washington. I go to a church there. Uh, I do it happily and gladly. I enjoy going there. I've been doing that for about... Uh, three or four years now, and before that church, I had absolutely no religious affiliation of any kind. I am stunned that I have one now. Uh, I, am, I am completely amazed that I have found a church that I not only go to of my own free will, but that I like going. And, uh, but I would go to... to religious people, and I started off in a very fundamentalist church whose main, uh, uh, who, who mainly uh, felt that uh, if it is fun, it has to be sinful. We may not be sure exactly why it's sinful, but we're sure it is. Uh, you know, and I went all the way up to becoming a, a, an Episcopalian, uh, which is a, you know, it's a, it's a Episcopalians are Catholics who couldn't quite get Latin, and uh, and they they like to drink, so hence, what what better choice could I make? Uh, but I I don't know what they said. You know, I mean, I went there and and I. I have no idea what, what they said. I know, all I know is what I heard. And I'm sure that what I heard is not what they said. Uh, but what I heard was, look, buddy, we own God. You know, yeah, he can help you with this, but, you know, we own God. And, and if you want to God's help, you have to go through us. And we're going to tell you what God likes and what he doesn't like, and what he won't tolerate. And so here's, here's the condition you have to be in in order to seek his help. Well, how the hell am I going to do that? I can't rise to the level of purity I thought they were demanding of me in order to qualify for God's help. I can't do that. I mean, I'd like to. But I, you know, it just it won't work for me. You know, I mean, you don't know what it's like when, when Igor says, it's time for a drink. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just, I can't rise to that level of purity. Uh, so where does that leave me? You know, I mean, I, I've tried all these powerful people. There, there have been others, you know, I... I was looking for a while for a really good shaman, but uh, I never did find one. Um, where does uh, Carlos Castaneda got the last good one? Uh, but I, I had a, uh, I had finally a disillusionment that was so profound that I just abandoned all hope of ever of anything in my life ever getting better. I had resigned myself to the fact that my life will continue to deteriorate until I can no longer stand the pain, the, the, the encroaching pain of being an alcoholic, a derelict, and I'll just have to, you know, bang, bang, or something. And, uh, and we're, so, we're such drama queens. It is just hysterical. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving a lot of consideration to how I'm going to kill myself because I don't want to stain my children. 
because I can't do it by myself. That was Saturday night, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 o'clock, April the 17th, 1976. My sobriety date is April the 18th, 1976. God pulled off overnight. God pulled off overnight what I had been trying for years to do, overnight. And, uh, you know, the enormity of that miracle didn't occur to me for a long time, you know, because I didn't, I didn't have much left to think with. And, uh, you know, but I... Uh, I have since had uh, my wildest, craziest dreams come true. Um, I have had um, four wives. I'm on my fourth wife. And uh, she's a stalwart girl, so she's, uh, she has hung in there with me. And, uh, and she is my pride and joy. We have been married, it'll be 28 years later on this year. And she is my, my pride and joy. I love her with all my heart. And, uh, you know, and, and when I got here, you know, uh, I, I was sort of on the trash heap. I was, I was at best a fixer-upper. <laughs> If you caught me on a good day, I may be considered a fixer-upper. <laughs> but uh, between Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, my wife Polly, I have I have the greatest life I can possibly imagine. Our our theme here is is called a design for living. And uh, that is exactly what it is. I, I have a family that I'm not going to mention any names here, but I have a family, and a lot of my family is in Alcoholics Anonymous. I have a niece who just grad. She's a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. She just graduated summa cum laude from uh, from college. Uh, I have. Uh, I have a son. Uh, I had two sons. One of my boys is dead, uh, but I have uh, I have a couple left. One of whom is in AA. Uh, I have every member of my family who is in Alcoholics Anonymous has an incredibly rich, rewarding, fulfilling, successful life. It is a design for living, and those members of my family. Who are, who are not passionate members of Alcoholics Anonymous don't have that. And in spite of the fact that, that the example is all around them, uh, in, in siblings and in parents, in spite of the fact that it's all around them, they just can't see it. You know, we have funny sayings in AA. You can't see till you can see. You know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. That has meaning for us. You don't don't go out and say that out there somewhere. No. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't say that at places like work. I mean, those are career those are career limiting statements. You know. But but uh, this is a design for living. It just says, come up. Come in here. Throw in the towel. Give up, man. You're making a wreck of the whole thing. Just stop it. You know, give up. You know, just admit, you're powerless over alcohol and your life is in the toilet. I mean, look at it. It's there. You know, who's going to help you, me? Why do you think I'm here? How the hell did I get here? 
No, you you got to figure out that there's a power greater than yourself. We don't care what you call it. When I got here, I didn't need much God. I just need. I thought my problem is that I'm that I am physically addicted to alcohol, and if I can somehow do something about that, I'm going to be cool. I'm fine. Does that's the only thing wrong with me? My God, if I'd have had any idea what kind of shape I was in, I mean, what what are you going to do with that? Just give it up, you know. And when and when you when you come to believe that, you know, e- even if you suspect it, that's good enough to start. Even if you think maybe that's good enough to start, you know, just try to get out of your own way and and let this power greater than yourself work in your life. Give them a little elbow room. Give them a little operating room. Okay, and then and then we're gonna. Go in and find out who you are and what you are. And we're going to do away with your secrets. Somebody yesterday said, um, I, think it, I think it was Sarah, said, somebody yesterday said, it's not, it's not the content of your secret that's important. It's the fact that you have a secret. You're ashamed of it or it wouldn't be a secret. If you're really happy about it, glad you got it, you'd be telling everybody. <laughs> So, you know, give away your secrets. You don't need any more of those. You know, um, become willing to have God remove all this crap from you. I mean, wouldn't you have already done it if you could? If you could have solved this problem yourself, if you could have removed these character defects, wouldn't you already have done it? Well, sure. What does that tell you? That you can't. You'd like to, you want to, but you can't. What are you going to do? Just become willing to have God remove them. Just ask Him to. God, will you please remove my the, the things that are are causing me problems, my, causing great difficulty in my life? Will you please take those away from me? You know, anything that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows, would you just please take that away from me? Okay. Well, now you still can't walk down the street because the people that you did all that stuff to and owe all that money to, you're going to run into them. And unless you want to be a, you know, if you, unless you want to live a life of, of chronic frustration from getting tickets for jaywalking, having to cross the street, you got to do something about that. So we're going to clean up that whole mess, and then we're just going to cruise on home. We're going to do step ten because we don't want it to have this stuff happening again. We don't want it to accumulate again. And we're going to do step 11 because we want God to know, because by this time we truly are grateful. Grateful. There is nothing more delicious than being grateful. It is the most delicious feeling in the world, gratitude. And, and we're going we're gonna to tell God, we thank you very much. And we're going to show our gratitude, and we're just going to talk to him a little bit every day. Uh, we don't we don't dictate. I mean, you know, we don't care if you do uh, 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 Buddhist breathing. You know, in goes the bad, good air, out goes the bad air. We don't care if you do that. You can do Japa meditation if you want to. You know, Japa is where you where you go ah. And when I do that, my little dog runs over. He thinks there's something wrong with me and licks me in the mouth. So I. <laughs> It's true. Yeah, I, so Joppa is out for me, but, there, you know, but do what you can. Just be quiet for a minute and, and just tell God thank you. You know, just thank you. I can't believe you would even bother with me. And then the 12th step, what does it say? It says we had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. What did Carl Jung tell Roland? Go somewhere and try to have a spiritual awakening. We didn't invent anything here. We have been shown. We have been shown how to predictably, reliably, and repeatedly have a spiritual awakening. Work the steps. That's our design for living. And, and we live this way. 
And those of us who live this way live happy, joyous, and free. That's God's desire for us. In, in the vision for you, it says uh, that if we are really painstaking about this, or in, in the promises, we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. In a vision for you, it says great events are going to come to pass. These are not going to, we don't, we don't have sets of great events, you know, like set A are these things and set B are these things. These are personal events from God directly to you. Great personal events will come to pass for you. Uh, is this theoretical? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, for one thing, this is a room full of people. For another, we're all over the world. We are all over the world. It is the program that, I mean, what does it cost? Damn near nothing. Pretty close to nothing. You know what we do with money if we haven't? We just argue about it. We can't have money. Hey, it's a goofy place, you know. Uh, we, if we have money, we just fight over who gets whose name gets to be on the checkbook. And what are we going to spend? We just fight. We squabble. If we if we pull the money together, what do we do with it? You know, our big book is 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 translated into fifty-seven languages. Do you know that we provide a big book in Braille for the blind? You know what we charge for that big book in Braille? Can you imagine how much it costs to produce that? We charge the going rate for a big book, six bucks. Isn't it great to be a member of this organization? You know, isn't it just... If you want to know what cheerful and happy means, call a New York office. Talk to anybody there. Just call them. I called, we were trying to get somebody who was uh, uh, in our community who showed up. You know, we, we live in a fairly small town and all, we, and we, we have a lady who showed up who was deaf. And, and, and so we started talking about how are we going to get somebody, what are we going to, how are we going to provide sobriety to this lady who is deaf. I called New York and talked to a lady named Vivian who is charming. She says, we got, a, we got a group down in West Virginia that are struggling with this same issue, have been struggling with it, and I've been working with them to get this going there. And she said, you know, the, the funniest thing happened. They had, they had one deaf person until they got somebody to sign, and now they got a whole bunch of them that nobody knew was out there. Yeah. Nobody knew those people were out there. So, you know, uh, we are an absolutely great organization. And if you can find it within yourself to keep faith with this organization, your dreams will come true. This is a design for living that will give you a gloriously happy life. I see it in my own family every single day. Every day. Those members of my family who are active members of Alcoholics Anonymous are leading full and fulfilling lives, and those that aren't are struggling. Uh, there's a guy that uh, is dead now. His name was Ray O'Keefe. And uh, he was, he's one of my heroes. And uh, he had a, a poem that he read once in a while. And uh, it, is, um, it was written by a guy named Francis Thompson. Francis Thompson lived back in the 1700s. And he was an opium addict and an alcoholic and... And his life was sort of tragic, but he, in his later years, got, uh, got hooked up with uh, a monastery, and he lived at this monastery, and, uh, and he wrote poetry. And, uh, and Ray 
really liked this poem, and he would read a part of it. It's a rather long poem, so, so I'm not going to read all of it. But in memory of him, and because this is such a touching poem, I want to read you a little, a little piece of this and uh, see if it rings, uh, if, it, if it strokes the, your heartstrings in you at all. The name of it, in this poem, Francis Thompson portrays God as a large hound dog. And uh, which is, yeah, which is like, what? Uh, but it says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And under running laughter until up vistaed slopes, I sped. Shot precipitated down titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase, an unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy. They beat and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. And uh, on over further it says, now that long pursuit comes on at hand a brute. That voice is round me like a bursting sea. And is thy earth so marred, shattered in shard on shard? Lo, all things fly thee who fliest me. Strange, piteous, futile thing. Wherefore should any set thee love apart? Serving none, but I make much of naught, he said. And human love needs human meriting. How hast thou merited? Of all man's clotted clay, the dingiest clot? Alack, thou knowest not how little worthy of any love thou art. Whom wilt thou find to love, ignoble me? Save me, ignoble thee, save me, save only me. Who will love you besides me? All which I take, took from thee, I did but take not for thy harms, but just that thou might seek it in my arms. All which thy child's mistake, fancies are lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. And that has been my experience here. That is what happens when I forget, when I remember what my design for living is. You know, my design for living is here. Come and get what we offer. It's yours for free, for fun and for free. And the only thing you have to do is just be happy. Appreciate the thing. Your heart will not let you keep it to yourself. Eventually, Alcoholics Anonymous will break through the last barrier of selfishness that you have, no matter how hard you fight. It will break through the last barrier of selfishness that you have. It may take a little time, may take a long time, but it'll happen. And you will find out just how delicious gratitude is. And the way you'll find it out is because you'll see the light come on in somebody's eyes. And you'll say, oh my God, look at that. Can you believe that? Yeah, we can believe it. You bet. So uh, thank you very much for inviting me here. Uh, I'm out of time. And I, uh, I want to tell you what a great, great event this has been in my life for me this weekend, for my wife Polly, my sponsee Carla. They're sitting up here. You guys stand up. To Denise and all the members of the committee, thank you very much for inviting me, and I am out of here.